thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. It was Sunday, April 5th, 2015, in Salisbury Plain, near Amesbury, Wiltshire, in England. Victoria and Emile Silliers had just welcomed their second child into the world. And to celebrate, Emile arranged for Victoria to do one of her favorite hobbies, skydiving, which she hadn't done in over a year due to her pregnancy. She was no newbie at the sport. She had already been on 2,649 jumps. Around 4 p.m., the plane reached an altitude of 4,000 feet, and Victoria jumped. She pulled the release on her main chute, but when it came out, it malfunctioned, so she cut it away and pulled to release her reserve chute. But this chute wasn't fully attached. Victoria began to spin out of control and drift in and out of consciousness. She fell 4,000 feet from the sky with no parachute and hit the ground at 60 miles per hour. So welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And this week uh, we're talking about an interesting case from the UK. Uh, Rosie, do you have anything you want to say before we get started tonight? Let me see here, Ryan. We've had a long week. We went, I'm just going to say, we went to the 21 Pilots concert on Sunday. No. Yeah. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, we've been pretty exhausted uh, the the past week. We're actually recording this um, really close to our release time because uh, we also put in a new water heater this week and a new toilet. So it's just been crazy busy around here, and but we're still we're trying to stay regular and get our episodes out on time for you guys. So, um, so that's why uh, we might sound a little tired or off during this episode. But thank you for tuning in. So this week we're talking about uh, Victoria and Emil Silliers. Yes. Victoria hit the ground at 427 um, on April 5th. She fell 4,000 feet, spinning out of control. It seems almost impossible that anyone could survive a fall like this. Yeah, it's possible to die from just falling from like the second story of a house if you land wrong. And that's only 16 to 20 feet. Victoria was spinning around like crazy up there. She could have landed anywhere, in any way, like on her head or neck. She could have landed on concrete or trees, but she was really, really fortunate. Well, Victoria landed on freshly plowed dirt 
and she actually woke up afterwards. Mm-hmm. This is the only way I could imagine anyone surviving a fall like this. The aeration within the dirt kind of creates, um, like... Like a mattress cushion? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, a cushion to help absorb all the energy and force that would go normally go straight back into your, your body if it was a hard surface. Yeah, watching the documentary of the fall, because they show it probably 30 times within the documentary, it doesn't look good. But somehow this plowed dirt like really made a difference. Yeah, it was it's scary thing to to watch in the documentary and actually picture what it could have been like. Mm-hmm. They don't let you forget because they show it over and over and over again. Yeah, like most documentaries, <laughs> it's extremely sensationalized. Yeah. Well, anyway, during her fall, Victoria had blacked out and had no control over the way that she landed. But eventually, she woke up laying in the dirt. She seemed to be on top of things as soon as she regained her consciousness. She checked to see if her arms and legs worked and to see if her spine was in one piece. She didn't feel any pain. Yeah. It's actually a pretty common experience for people that get injured really badly to go into shock and feel almost numb. So eventually, emergency services got to her and brought her into the hospital. After examination, they found that one of her lungs had collapsed and she also had broken her pelvis and ribs. Also, she fractured her spine in four places. Oof. Sounds painful. I don't want to get off topic, but I wonder if they ever found out who that farmer was that had plowed the ground just prior to this fall, and if they ever told the person that they had saved Victoria's life. Just a random thought. Oh, yeah. I wonder. Because if he wouldn't have plowed his, his field that day. Could you imagine if he was supposed to, but he was like, ugh. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, and then she lands in it and dies. Yeah, interesting. Victoria is a 42-year-old woman from Amesbury, Wiltshire in England. She lived with her husband, Emil, and they had two young children together. She worked in the British Army as a, a what? Physiotherapist. Physiotherapist. Sorry, I'm dumb. <laughs> I can't <laughs> read. You're not dumb. <laughs> Skydiving was a passion of hers. And she was very experienced. Like we mentioned in the intro, she had made 2,649 jumps without any accidents. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Now we're going to talk about Emil, and we're going to dig a little bit further into his past because I think it's relevant for the rest of this case. Right. Emil is Victoria's husband. He was born in South Africa he was very outdoorsy and a very active person. He was also handsome and charming. When he was 16, he got together with his first serious girlfriend, Nicolene Shepard. She was only 13 at the time, but they dated for seven years. Nicolene had felt like she was ready to settle down and marry this man that she had been with since, since she was 13. According to her, all the girls liked him, and he had a magnetic personality. He had a way of making her feel like she was the only thing in his world and showed it off with lavish displays of affection, giving her a long-stemmed rose each month of their monthly anniversary. Aww. Well, this sounds pretty good. That's cute. Yeah, it does seem like he knows how to treat a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how to woo them. Yeah, I mean, what woman doesn't love flowers? 
I'm I sure there's know. women out there that don't love flowers. <laughs> don't ruin it for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> so when Nicolene was 16, she gave birth to her first child from Emil, and he eventually proposed to Nicolene using his grandmother's ring. They planned to get married until she found out that he had been cheating on her with her best friend. Oh, not a good start. Nope. She didn't break up with him, but she didn't want to marry him at that time. They had another child together, but shortly after that, Emil moved from South Africa to the UK looking for work. He promised that he would return. But in 2000, she got a call from Emil's mother saying that he had married a British woman named Carly Taylor. Wow. Sounds like a scummy move to have your mom call the person you've been with for seven years and had two kids with to break up with her for you. Like, yeah, who does that? Because he was cheating on her with the best friend. She decided to keep him, but thought maybe marriage wasn't the best choice. Moving on, they had a kid together, and then he like completely breaks her heart by not even telling her. Yeah, and not to mention the two little kids that... Oh, and the two kids. ...he left behind. Oh, man. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> I know. Well, several years after this, Nicolene herself moved to the UK, as she had been wanting to for quite a while. After her move, the daughter asked if she could get to know her father. So Nicolene called up Emile's mother and said that she learned Emile was willing to meet up. So they went to a water park as a family. Emil told her that Carly and him were getting a divorce, and as they spent time together, it reignited the passion that had been there before. Oh, Nicolene. I know. After <laughs> all the stuff he put her through. Uh, he must be such a ladies' man. Yeah, it seems like it. They got back together after this, and it seemed like they were a happy family again. But one morning, after he had spent the night at her place, he forgot his phone there when he left her house. The phone rang and Nicolene answered it. It was a woman's voice. Nicolene asked who it was and the woman replied, It's the wife, Carly. Emile was actually still with his wife while hooking up with Nicolene. Yeah. Ouch. And it's funny, the way uh, the two women actually got together and ended up confronting him. Mm-hmm. And when he saw them together, he started yelling at Nicolene in Afrikaans, which mm-hmm. is like the common language of South Africa. We have good friends that from yeah. South Africa that speak it. It's really cool. But because um, he knew Carly couldn't understand that, so he was trying to communicate with Nicolene. But after that, he calmly looked back and forth between the two women and then told them that he chose Nicolene, which at this point really means nothing. Of course, he chose the woman he's not married to. Yeah, really. When she heard that Nicolene, she got up and left and said that Carly could have him because, I mean, she doesn't want to be with a guy that lies like that. Right. At this point, this whole story Reminds me of a Lifetime movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it seems like such a dramatized movie. Yeah, and this guy is such a narcissist to yeah. think that when these two women are confronting him, that he still gets to make the choice of who he's going to be with. Right, right. 
Like, As if these two women are dying to have him. He's so self-absorbed. Hmm. Well, in 2004, he became a physical training instructor in the British Army. This is where he actually met Victoria in 2010 because she was working as a physical therapist in the Army. They bonded pretty quickly because they were both adrenaline junkies and they loved high-risk sports. A year later, they got married in Cape Town, South Africa. So, I know I haven't said a lot of nice things about Emil yet, but as the story unfolds, you'll understand why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, now let's get back to the story we started with in the beginning about the parachute jump. Um, the parachute club where they had done the jump, they inspected the parachutes that she had been using because it's extremely rare for both the main chute and the reserve to malfunction the way these did. When they looked into it, it appeared that these chutes had been tampered with after the pre-jump inspection. One of them said, I've never seen anything like this before. They called the local police. The police took on the case, but they didn't have any leads to start with. They sent the parachutes off to be officially inspected by the British Parachute. Uh, the British Parachute Association. Lots of shh sounds. That's okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Four weeks later, the police got the results back. We shouldn't be laughing. This is really sad. You're right. It concluded that there was no mechanical reason the parachute should have failed. The cords of the main chute had been wrapped around the canopy, which is the part that inflates to catch the air, so there was no way for it to come loose. And then on the reserve chute, one of the links, or slinks, which means soft links, um, had been removed. And there are two links that hold the cords of the chute onto your back, so when one of them is missing, there's no way for there to be stability while it's floating down so even if it did inflate it's a flopping all over the place because you only have one link attaching to you so yeah it would be really scary okay so for those of us who've never gone parachuting before you're let me i'm gonna say this and just tell me if i'm wrong you're wearing like a harness and the harness has the links on it like the little carabiners mm -hmm. is that what you call them it's like a, yeah, it's like a, you're wearing a backpack right. that has straps that go off, off of it and then the links uh -huh. attach to the top of the straps, which attach to the cords that go up to the canopy okay. that catches the air. Okay. Just trying to make a mental picture. And I don't know anything about parachuting. I just looked at a map of a parachute on Google, so. Okay. Got it. So they concluded that there had to have been tampering by either the parachutists themselves or a third party. That's when they realized that they had a criminal investigation on their hands. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's an investigation like this, we know the first place they check is the husband. And with good reason, as we've talked about, this guy's a scumbag. On April 20th, the police brought Emil... It's Silliers. Silliers? Okay. Well, that's how the documentary pronounced it. Other places I saw pronounced it Sillier. But I'm going to go with Silliers because... Okay. I've been dancing around it, not wanting to say it. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> Silliers. <laughs> okay. So on April 20th, the police brought Emil Silliers in for questioning. 
They had come to his place of work to pick him up, and he got upset that they had arrested him in front of his subordinates. So this was right after the arresting officer had made it clear that he was being taken in for questioning about suspicion on the attempted murder of his wife. And she was really taken aback by his lack of reaction and how the thing he was upset about was the fact that she arrested him in front of his subordinates, and he didn't show any concern for his wife or like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want to help with the investigation. It was right. like he was mad that she embarrassed him. She made him look bad in front of his coworkers. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Yeah, so that's the first red flag we see. Well, the first interview that they had with Emil lasted for six hours. During it, he divulged a lot of information about his marriage. He said, it's not really a relationship I want to be in anymore. Also, he said, I have a very high sex drive, and my wife has a very low sex drive. It's crazy to me how much it already sounds here, like he's trying to make excuses for something. It, he doesn't seem to be happy in his marriage, but it also sounds like he's trying to justify certain things mm -hmm. that they haven't even asked him about yet. And he was also super willing just to chat about his life. Yeah. And they were really, like, surprised in how chatty he was. Especially about his sex life. <laughs> right. Another thing the police noticed while questioning Emil is that he never claimed innocence or said that he didn't do anything to sabotage his wife's parachute. Now, personally, I don't put a ton of weight on that detail because if he didn't sabotage the parachute, um, he would have no idea what actually happened. So he wouldn't know what to say he was innocent of, if you know what I mean. You know? Okay. Like, if he didn't actually know what the crime was, you know, or that a crime had taken place, then it would be even more suspicious if he was saying that he was innocent and had nothing to do with it. So, that there's that thought. After the interview, the police figured this affair could be a pretty good motive to pin Emil if they decided to prosecute him. Emil bailed out of jail, but the police required him to find somewhere else to live and not return to his home with his wife, Victoria. And this seems like it would be really difficult for Victoria, just after having a huge injury like this. She's in a body brace, and she had a newborn baby and a three-year-old child. She'd need all the help she could get and probably someone to take care of her but on the other hand, if Emil was guilty, the police wouldn't be able to protect Victoria from him if he were to strike again. And I understand that her parents came to help with the kids and stuff, so that was nice. Understandably, Victoria was pretty upset about the fact that Emil wasn't coming home. She asked the police, why can't he come home? I need him. And them, and told them, you're ruining my life. This would be tough to hear if you're a police officer trying to do your best to protect a victim. We know it can be a thankless job more often than not. It's really sad. Another thing that was disheartening for the police is knowing that her husband had potentially tried to kill her and she didn't want anything investigated. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about this before, um, but how an investigation like this affects the day-to-day -day life of the victim not only did she suffer a traumatic fall from the sky and she has to endure a horrible recovery period in a body brace, but her home life is ruined. It's hard enough caring for a newborn baby when you're completely healthy. 
but in a body brace with several several broken bones and um, having your husband under investigation for trying to kill you? I couldn't do that. Five days after the skydiving fall, one of Victoria's close friends had called the Wiltshire police. The friend told the police that Victoria's marriage to Emile wasn't quite as nice as it appeared from the outside. She was suspicious about Emile's involvement in what happened to Victoria. Mm-hmm. So people on the outside are also starting to show suspicion in him, not just the police. Now, at this time, Victoria is completely in denial about Emil having anything to do with the fall, correct? Yeah, she's really struggling coming to terms with it. So as far as she con- she's concerned, he's innocent, and the police are the ones in the wrong at this point. I... I don't know if she thinks the police are in the wrong, but I I think she's having a really hard time. And this is something that persists to this day, but having a really hard time um, believing that he could have tried to do anything to hurt her. But we'll talk more about that later. During the interview, after his initial arrest, police learned that Emil had a bit of a love life outside of his marriage. Apparently, Emil had been having an affair with a girl named Stephanie. He told Victoria that he had a serious girlfriend and was planning on leaving her. Another heartbreaking thing he told her is that he had denied paternity of their son. I did not know you could even do that. Is that like an option that's in the UK? I don't know. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it right now. How right. that would work. Hearing all of this had broken Victoria's heart and she was really distraught about it. But she didn't want to believe he actually could have killed her. Yeah, this is a real struggle for her. Like you had just mentioned, to believe that the man you're in love with and you have two children with could ever want to hurt you like this. When Victoria told the police about this, she lost it and started screaming and crying. She was really broken up about it. But according to the investigator, that was the only time through the whole process where she broke down and wasn't completely composed and appeared tough. So, in September of 2015, the police brought Emil in for another interview. He showed up in flip-flops and a t-shirt. He acted like being there was such a waste of time for him and he had better places to be. When the investigator asked him what checks he did on the parachute, he just said, The standard checks. And when she asked him to clarify about the, about the specifics, he got really disrespectful and told her that she should look it up herself. Yeah, later we'll play a clip, a short clip of uh, one of the police interviews so you can hear his attitude yourself. But You mean I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do a good enough job? No, you did fine, babe. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> you could be an actress. <laughs> Thank you, a voice actress. Or an actor, if you want to call yourself that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> then they asked him about, about the affair that he had been having with this woman named Stephanie. She was the one he was planning to leave his wife for. He had only met her five months before the parachute accident. When they asked him about her, he got really quiet and upset and wrapped a blanket around himself and started sulking. This was a really weird part of the documentary. It's really funny, though, to see him. He starts wiping his eyes and grabbing Kleenexes and dabbing his nose. Yeah. And the interviewer interview, yeah, interviewer is just staring at him. 
like crossing things off on her <laughs> notepad. Yeah. <laughs> Are you done? He, well, he's totally trying to get pity out of them. Yes. And like he, they asked him where he saw the relationship going, and he quietly said, "Nowhere." And yeah, like you said, he pretended to wipe tears from his eyes as he told them that they were no longer together. But the investigators, they saw right through this as an act to get their pity. And what's really annoying about this is that he was crying about his side piece breaking up with him, but he didn't cry when they were talking to him about his wife who had fallen out of the sky. He seemed relatively unaffected by everything she was struggling with. So I kind of feel like he's a sociopath. Because in the interview video, he has absolutely no empathy for anyone else. But he's trying to play the victim here. Which is sociopathic behavior as far as I understand. And I'm not trying to diagnose anyone, but I just think it correlates with that. The police were able to pull over two years' worth of WhatsApp messages between him and Stephanie, and the way he had been talking to her made it seem like he was planning on being free to be with her in April after the parachute jump. He specifically texted her, From April onward, I can do random and spontaneous. In other words, he was planning for three months uh, for this situation. To wait until the baby was born, I'm guessing, and then somehow he would be free of his wife. But he wasn't just conspiring to be with Stephanie. He'd also been sending messages to escorts, trying to set up a hookup, and yet even asked one of them if he could film it. Ew. It's like, what is he doing, trying to make a collection of homemade porn with prostitutes? Like, why would you film that? It also came out that Emil had been visiting multiple sex clubs in Salisbury. At one of the particular swingers clubs he visited, he had physically assaulted a married woman and made her cry. He would creep people out by staring at them without saying anything. He eventually got kicked out of this club. Mm-hmm. They made it clear that everything that happened there had to be consensual. And yeah. So, obviously, I mean... You gotta have standards. Although the club was pretty dingy. Yeah, they had holes drilled in a door. What was it called again? I don't know. I, I didn't think that was a, an important detail. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It was to me. Uh, well, maybe we'll let them know next week. It was week. like Tom or Peeper's you... holes or something. Yeah. But another interesting detail that came out during the investigation was that Victoria told them about a gas leak they had on March 30th, 2015, which was only six days um, before the almost deadly jump. She had noticed the smell of gas in their house around 9.30 in the morning after Emil had left for work, so she checked their gas pipes to see if she could find anything that seemed off. She noticed that there was some blood on one of the gas pipes, so she texted him and asked Emil if he had adjusted the gas lever. And he said, nope, that's weird. Is the stove working? <laughs> this, this response seems pretty nonchalant. Not really suspicious, but unless that's how he's trying to come across, to play it cool. It's possible for a gas leak to happen naturally, especially in an old house, but they were living in a relatively new house, so this... Combined with the suspicious parachute accident less than a week later, 
turned up the suspicion even more. Mm-hmm. Especially because there's a little bit of blood on the pipe. It sure seems like he physically tampered with it and like, cut himself or something. Yeah. But this wasn't just a natural leak because how would there be blood on it? Mm-hmm. Does seem sketchy. So investigators logged this new piece of information and sent the pipe off for analysis as well. They found that the pipe had a mark on the nut that matched up with the print of Emile's wrench. Here, Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but they explained that every wrench kind of has its own fingerprint because it'll get chipped in certain spots, Hmm. you know, so... They took his wrench and they matched it up with the markings on the nut. That is interesting. To explain that. So here we're going to play a clip of the interview they had with Emil after they found out this information. And so you can get an idea of the attitude he had while they were interviewing him. When was the last time you used your locking pliers? I can't remember. What was it for? You just asked me when was the last time I used it, and now you ask me what it's for. And when I said I can't remember when I last used them, how can I remember what I used them for? You can tell that he's got an attitude on him. But one thing about this investigation that's really sad, and it's that many people in the department didn't want to investigate this case any further. So there were only three people total interested enough in this case to spend time investigating it. And in fact, they weren't even given the time to work on it. They had to squeeze the investigation into the little free time they had between other work because the department heads didn't think it was possible to prove this case. So these investigators are basically volunteering their time to try to help protect Victoria from any future threat. So... These cops are a great example of what police should be. They really seem to be in this line of work to try to help other people and to do the right thing, even if they're not getting support from the victim. You know, like, like they want to help protect her, even if she doesn't want it. Yeah, that's a really good point that you brought out. Thank you. Another interesting tidbit was how much debt Emil had. He had it mostly from payday loans and whatnot and he told Victoria that his father was ill and needed help with medical bills. She agreed to give him the money to help his father out, but his father wasn't sick. The records later show that he had bought an expensive new fish tank around this time. I'm wondering where he put that fish tank, because Victoria would have noticed it if it was for their house, and I don't think he'd have a place to put it at his army job. So my guess is that he took the money from his wife, to buy a fish tank for one of his side lovers. Emil was a notoriously greedy and selfish person. His first girlfriend, Nicoline, who we mentioned in the beginning, had been struggling to afford the basic supplies to care for her children. She asked Emil for help, as he is the father, but he told her that he had no money, but the same day he bought himself an expensive pair of golfing shoes. At the time of the parachute accident, Emil was in 24,000 euros of debt, which is over $27,000 in the U.S. But he would often spend money on new toys like skiing equipment, golf clubs, and new gadgets for himself. It seems like this guy is extremely narcissistic and possibly sociopathic, like I said before. I obviously can't say that for sure, and I don't want to try to diagnose anyone, but... 
His actions really line up with a narcissistic sociopath. So let me know what you think, especially if you're qualified, because I obviously am not saying this with any authority, and if you think I'm trying to diagnose him, I'm not. I'm just, it just seems like this, and I'm genuinely curious for an expert to come uh, tell me what's what, so. <laughs> Another detail, while we're on the topic of debt, is a life insurance policy that covered both Emil and Victoria that amounted to £120,000, which in the U.S. is nearly $155,000. This is another very suspicious detail. Also, could someone from the U.K. please explain euros and pounds to me? <laughs> I don't know the difference. Cause, me neither. Because <laughs> the life insurance is £120,000, but he's in twenty. 4,000 euros of debt, so I didn't understand what, um, how that all correlated, like why they'd use two different I don't know. ways to, to say money. Don't look at me as so, if I have the so answers. If, yeah. So if someone could explain that to me, I'd really appreciate it. Sorry, I'm asking more of you in this episode than I'm giving, but... So we have now three motives slash clues that we want to just reiterate. One, Emil was dating the Stephanie person and wanted to be available for more spontaneity, as well as who knows how many other sexual escapades he had on the side. Mm -hmm. Two, he had this massive amount of debt and a generous life insurance policy that would be much more than enough to cover his debts. And three, which is more of a clue than a motive, but it's that he had used a wrench to cause a gas leak in his house just before he left for work while his wife was still asleep. And this was six days before the jump. So apparently he loosened the gas as he was leaving, and it seems like he was hoping that she would just fall asleep and die or something. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if he was... Thinking about the children at this time, too. What was going to happen to them? Yeah, that's the other huge thing, is that if he actually did this, he was putting his children's lives in danger, too, which just shows what a narcissistic sociopath he could possibly be. Not that you're diagnosing, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get so much <laughs> flack for this. Uh, anyway, what really happened to the parachute? Because we didn't really explain it in detail yet. So do you want to go yes. into that? Before each jump, parachutes are supposed to be inspected and cleared. On the day of this nearly fatal jump, Victoria's chute had gotten all cleared from her husband, Emil. Before the jump, he had taken mm. Victoria's parachutes into the bathroom with him while he was taking their daughter to use the, the toilet. The amount of time that he was in the bathroom became a loose fact. At first, Victoria said that he was in the bathroom for up to 10 minutes, but later she changed it and said that she probably exaggerated the amount of time. Yeah, and we'll talk more about her changing um, statements later, but the fact is that he was the one that did the final check on her parachutes before the jump, mm -hmm. and they both malfunctioned, and they were both clearly sabotaged. So there's no denying that he was the last one to see those shoots before they deployed. Right, something very easily could have happened in that bathroom. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about the trial and sentencing. 
Emil was charged with the attempted murder of his wife, and he denied all of them. So they took him to court and felt that they were armed with a pretty good case. But shockingly, their star witness, also the victim, suddenly changed her story. She said the first parachute she released was probably good, and she just cut it away too soon. She also said that she was the one that messed up the gas pipe. This part is so sad to me, because he is the one that did the inspection of her chutes just before she went up, and the reserve chute did fail because of intentional removal of the slinks. She was right about the first chute, though. It wasn't actually broken, but the cords were all wrapped up around the inflatable canopy, so it couldn't possibly open up. Mm. This sudden change, I mean, it's understandable, because... How can you possibly wrap your head around the fact that the person you love and you've been with for several years actually tried to kill you? I mean, could you believe that if I did that? You know, wouldn't you be shocked? <laughs> Why are you yes. waiting so long? <laughs> I would be shocked. So, but looking at it from an outside, uh, more objective standpoint, it seems pretty obvious to me that he did it. Unfortunately, the first trial ended in Emil going free. It's pathetic to watch, but Emil made some videos of himself playing guitar and singing love songs really terribly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, my opinion is if you're not a musician, don't do that, but... Anyway. But he's a musician, so that's why he would say that. Sorry. <laughs> so, Nicolene, um, who we talked about in the intro, his first girlfriend, had talked to reporters about how Emil could have you under his romantic spell while you were with him. I mean, we see that it happened to her when he had completely deserted her and her children. Mm -hmm. But then she saw him again, and he somehow got her back. Mm -hmm. even after he heard her like this. So she believes that um, that Victoria could possibly be under that same spell still, which could explain why it's so hard for her to accept what really happened. Right. Well, Emil was brought back to trial. The prosecution shared thousands of text messages from Emil, texting Victoria about the kids, texting sex workers about free slots in his afternoon, just side by side. Yeah, it's like he could go back and forth without being phased at all, mm. having this double life. They also found that Emil had made a web search for a wet nurse just days before the parachute jump. The prosecution believed that this showed his plan to kill her because he was looking for a way to feed his newborn baby. I'm just curious for this fact what device they found the search on. Like, was it on his phone or was it on his home computer? Because I'm thinking that if it's on the home computer, it's possible that Victoria could have searched it, you know? Yeah. Maybe she didn't want to breastfeed herself for some reason or another. But that's just some random speculation. I'm thinking not to be, like, nasty, but what if he was just, like, a super weird horny guy yeah it could have been a fetish i mean he obviously had a lot of other fetishes and like wanted to film himself with a bunch of escorts so. yeah but if that were true he already had a pregnant lactating woman in his house that he didn't seem interested in Ugh, so sad i don't know i'm just throwing it out there yeah i mean the the details are so foggy mm -hmm. but i mean 
it's also very possible that he was the one searching wet nurse and and that it was to replace her. Right. No, totally. But it does seem weird that he would be thinking of his kids. Like, he obviously thinks he's going to get away with all this because he thinks he's going to get the life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's going to still be taking care of his kids. Like, if all these facts are true and all come together, this, like, he thinks that this is the perfect crime to sabotage her shoots, and she just hits the ground, and they're like, oh, something went wrong. We're not going to investigate anything. Let's just pay. Mm -hmm. But he should know, especially, people don't get away with life insurance scandal, or what do they call? Scams. I don't know, anymore, because these days, people are suspicious of everything, and if there's a big payout, the life insurance companies are going to find out if if the death was suspicious or not. Mm-hmm. So, this guy's an idiot. So, eventually, the jury found Emil guilty after three days of deliberation, and the judge sentenced him to life in prison with 18 years until parole, so... Well. Victoria really doesn't seem to want to be a part of this anymore. She refused to be part of the recent documentary, Parachute Murder Plot. Yeah, it's so bittersweet because the victim really can't feel a sense of justice in this case because she can't even bring herself to believe that her husband would do this to her or that there was an actual crime committed. And we really can't blame her for that. It's such a huge thing to wrap your head around and... Uh, I can't even imagine if you tried to do that to me, I would probably have just as hard a time. Like, she wouldn't do that, you know? Right. It's hard to imagine the amount of gaslighting that had to be done during this relationship. And sadly, some people being gaslighted never realize it. They just believe that it's their own fault and they deserve the treatment that they're getting. Yeah, like we talked about a few weeks ago with gaslighting. Basically, the person that's causing the abuse is trying to convince the other person that it's no big deal or it's their own fault. And who knows how much of that Victoria got from this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear that he's a scumbag. But another thing that hit me um, almost the hardest during this case was seeing his daughter, Celine, talk about her life disconnected from her father. She's the one that was born right before um, he moved to the UK and left his family behind in South Africa. Right, so Celine is Nicolene's daughter. Yeah, from his first relationship. Mm-hmm. And now she's twenty or she's 18 or 21 now. I can't remember. But she talked about how he, she felt like he always loved her so much Well, when she was a little kid and... Um, she couldn't really understand how someone who she thought loved her so much could ever leave her behind. And she mentioned how he never apologized for leaving them behind and hurting her so much. And this is something I can really relate to personally with my father. This desire for some kind of apology for something that hurt you, when in reality, uh, the parent will barely acknowledge that they did anything wrong and you almost never get that acknowledgement or apology that you want, you know? Mm-hmm. One other interesting detail that speaks to 
um, Victoria's character in this case is um, the man that she was jumping with the day that she fell. His name was James Rankin. And um, he was really nervous uh, when they were going up because they were jumping from a relatively low altitude. Typically, skydivers jump from about 13,000 feet or 4,000 meters, but they were jumping from only 4,000 feet, so less than a third of the typical altitude. Um, but Victoria reassured him and told him to keep his head up and stay positive and that it would be fine. Mm. And she was just really encouraging to him. She was, so... Um, I mean, she was confident because of all of her experience. She didn't seem to be nervous at all about this jump. And it's so sad now that we know what was waiting for her within minutes of this. Right. Wow. Now it's October of 2018. It's been more than three years since Victoria almost died from that tragic skydiving accident. And she's really rebooting her passion. Um, she decided that she wanted to go skydiving again. She had her daughter and her son waiting on the ground for her, and they were seen there waving and shouting for her as she safely flew from a height of about two miles. Yeah, so, I mean, she, it's amazing that she's starting up her passion again. Yeah. After having such a traumatic experience with it. But like we talked about with the, the last guy, uh, James, that, I mean, she approached skydiving with almost no hesitation before. She was super confident in it. And, I mean, she has all this experience. So it's mm -hmm. really, really nice that this horrible tragedy didn't completely ruin her hobby for her. Yeah, it's like that um, saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. I feel like that completely embodies her situation. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe that she's skydiving much less like walking. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. The, I mean, she fell from such a high height and hit the ground. Yeah. And it's hard to wrap your head around, but when you watch the documentary and they show the reenactment of it over and over again, and you can hear the crunch when she falls. Oh. I mean, it's not a real, you know, yeah, it's like a reenactment, reenactment. So it's not completely right, but it sure freaked me out after yeah. a while. Like, how is she even alive? It doesn't make sense. Like, you think how bad it hurts when you fall off, like, your playground. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. It was, it's pretty amazing that she's up in the air again and, and skydiving. Yeah. So, I guess what I would like to close with is if you are someone that is contemplating murdering their spouse for a life insurance policy, don't do it. <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking about murdering your spouse, get a divorce. Don't murder them. Wise words from Ryan. I don't want to, like, encourage someone to end a relationship, but if they're thinking of murdering someone, that is a better path than actually following through with it. <sighs> Thank you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to the Voices of Victim podcast. I mean, this is a really uncomfortable topic to discuss, as pretty much everything we talk about is, but I think that it's an important story to get out there for especially people that are thinking about doing this. To You're not going to get away with it, so don't do it. 
You are a tired. Rosie is person looking at right me now. with so much confusion. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are sociopaths out there that. Oh, I know. And when you're sociopathic, it's almost like mm-hmm. you don't feel that empathy, that human compassion that everyone else usually does. So, like, it could be easier for you to think, like, well, I don't care. I'll just do this, you know? Mm-hmm. <sighs> you're right. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. We should end this. Yep. So, um, if you would like to follow us on Instagram, we're at VOV Podcast, and on Twitter at VOV Pod, and you can always email us at VOVPodcast at gmail.com. Um, we've been loving the sweet reviews we've been getting. Everyone's been really kind. Yeah. And we're so grateful that we haven't been getting any hateful reviews <laughs> lately. I hope this episode doesn't blow it. It might. <laughs> so... Um, and of course, as always, uh, you can support us on Patreon at mm-hmm. VOV Pod or Patreon. Sorry, www.patreon.com slash VOV Podcast um, to get some cool things or to just show support for us. Mm-hmm. Um, because very much appreciate it. Yeah, it does take a lot of time. And we really realized that this week when we had so much stuff going on mm-hmm. in our house to take care of and also trying to get this episode up. But I thought this story was just really, really um, fascinating and wanted to share it with you guys. So uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, thank you very much, guys. Bye. Bye, my dudes. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs>